Hey, Pottercast listeners, Sue, John, and Melissa here, and you are listening to a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> you geeks. John. No, no, it's okay. We're all geeks here. Yeah, geeks are cool. Yes, they are, which is why geek to geek is making a special part of life easier for people like us. geek to geek is one of the fastest-growing online matchmaking and dating services. This is a highly specialized niche dating service catering to geeks and their admirers. Typical dating sites tend to exclude information that is imperative for a geek to find their ideal match. However, geek to geek has specially designed the profiles geared toward geeks and their specific interests. Geeks are unique people and can make exceptional friends. On geek to geek your privacy is highly valued and assured when using the service. You have the option of anonymously blocking members to help ensure you have the best possible experience. Learning more about geek to geek is simple. It's free to sign up and to explore all the features they have to offer. Full memberships are available for less than $10 a month. For more information, please visit gk2gk.com. Now let's go do the show. Okay, see you guys there. Geeks. John. Welcome, welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, the official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. Your number one source for theories, news and discussion. And interviews from the books and the films like me, Rupert Grint. I play Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films. And now your hosts, Melissa, John and Sue. Welcome to Pottercast number 115. Hello. Hi guys. I'm Melissa. I'm here with John and Sue. We are here for yet another week of exciting Potter discussions, theories, questions and all that good stuff. Yes. Before we do another thing, we have to say hi to our friends from Borders. Ooh. Yay! Today's podcast is brought to you by Borders. Haven't read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows yet? Don't worry, Borders is here to help. Pick up your copy of this summer's smash hit soon. You won't be able to hide from the spoilers forever. You can count on Borders to have it in stock and ready to take home tonight, along with the audiobook version. Even if you've read the book, the Harry Potter fun doesn't have to end yet. Visit bordersmedia.com or click on the Borders banner at the top of the podcast page to find out more. Okay, I think it is time to hear from my lovely Sue to find out what's going on in the world of Harry Potter this week with Sue's News. Hello, everyone. Well, topping our news this week is more information about the open book tour that author J.K. Rowling is undertaking in October here in the United States. U.S. Potter publisher Scholastic have updated with news now that Joe will be reading from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, as well as signing books and taking questions from the audience at the October 19th appearance in Carnegie Hall in New York City. Joe will also be making three other stops, open to school children only, in Los Angeles, New Orleans, and New York City, as well as making an evening appearance at Carnegie Hall. Tickets to the evening event are open to the public, however, but you can only obtain them through a special sweepstakes on Scholastic.com. You can get your entry form and submit it by mail, but please note that entries must be received by August 31st. So good luck, everyone. On one other Joe-related note now, the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, is thinking of honoring the Harry Potter author, as the Scotsman newspaper reports. The plans are afoot, and a, quote, civic reception is expected to be held in her honor, end quote, as well as establishing something more permanent to recognize the contributions that Joe has made to literature and promoting Edinburgh on a global scale. Very cool. 
In other news now, we do have several pieces of movie-related news to update you on. While attending a rock concert in the UK, actor Rupert Grint gave several interviews where he noted that the cast had just completed a script read-through for the upcoming Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince film. Rupert says he's looking forward to this new movie as his character, Ron Weasley, now has a girlfriend and will be, quote, a bit more intense for him, end quote. Indeed. Also, as we reported previously, principal photography is set to begin next month on the sixth Harry Potter movie. We have now learned that some night scenes for Hapla Prince will be filmed in October in Wiltshire, England. Filming is set to occur again at the Cloisters of Leacock Abbey, and the crews will be filming there for four days and filming between 5 p.m. and 5 a.m. Actor Dan Ratcliffe, who plays Harry Potter, of course, is among those thought to be taking part in this filming. Please note, though, that we do not know the exact date of the filming, but stay with TLC, and we will update you with more on that when we can. Finally, in the big rumor of the news, we have this report about legendary film composer John Williams, who has reportedly expressed an interest in returning to score Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows movie. As previously announced, this film is due out in 2010, and these new rumors say that the famous composer who provided the memorable scores for the first three Harry Potter movies says he hopes he can return to the last Harry Potter film. While this is, of course, exciting news for the many John William fans out there, please keep this very much in the rumor category for now. Well, for more on these things and all things Harry Potter, you can always find it at leakynews.com, which is updated daily. Guys, Ian Rankin, man's causing trouble. Saying Joe's right His name is novel. Chris. Who? Chris? His name is Chris. No, no, Chris Rankin is Percy. Oh, <laughs> oh that's right. Ian Rankin right. is the author who lives in author. Scotland, right? Right near Joe. What the hell is he yes. written? Loads of novels. He made some comment right from the stage. Right. He was at the Edinburgh Film Festival, and, and he made a comment saying that, that his wife had seen Joe out and she, he speculated that she was writing her mystery novel. Well, of course, every paper in the world picked that up to saying that Joe is now oh. writing a, a novel. And then he's gone on to say it was a joke that got out of hand and there were I 600 people that. in the audience and only one person didn't laugh. I got a call from like one of my aunts and she's like, did you hear? I just heard on the news that Joe's writing another book already. Of course, she didn't call her Joe, uh, JK Rowling <laughs> or whatever the hell she said, but... Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge story. I even got to my random relatives that don't even read the sites. <laughs> random relatives. Don't yeah. we all have those? <laughs> Heck yeah. But the thing is that, you know, I, Mr. Rankin has spoken before about Joe and, and that he thought she would be suited to writing a mystery. And um, P.D. James also weighed in and thought that Joe would be suited to writing. But they were just, you know, talking about this before. But... Of course, now everyone's all anxious because Joe had said that she's working on two new novels, one for children and one not for children. So automatically uh -oh. everyone says, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> what does it's it mean, wrong. not for children? Uh, like, like romance novels? No. With like Fabio on yes. the cover? Yes. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> hey, man, there's a couple of fan fictions I know. that. that fan Challenge no, of the Week, no, send in no. your titles to Joe's new romance no. novel book. <laughs> Nope. That'd be awesome, man. That'd be so cool. Oh, magical uh, broomsticks. That's so awesome. What's Rupert Grint been up to? Rupert Grint, man, he's been hanging out and hanging. He's partying at the V Festival in um, England. That sounds he, like Rupert. Yeah, it is fun. But he said, too, that he did a read-through of the Half-Blood Prince script. Ooh. Oh, he got a leaked copy. Yeah, yeah. a sneak copy. I'm reporting him. <laughs> Busted, Rupert. 
Yeah, he said they had a sort of read-through, script read-through. We got all the cast to come around and to read the script, and we'll be filming it for another year or so. Another year or Ron's so. Ron's got a girlfriend in this, he says. It's I like how he said it's going to be more intense. That's funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Compared to the previous levels of intensity. Do you know what this means? And Ron's romance. Do you know what this means? That people haven't really sort of talked about? It means they have Lavender Brown. It means they have Tom Riddle. It means they have Horace Slughorn. Ooh, yeah. Cast. Oh, yeah. The, mm-hmm. I mean, cast-wise. Yeah. Who are they? Come on, Warner Brothers. I don't well, know. Well, we have our first interview with Lavender next week, <laughs> yeah. don't we? Yeah, John. Oh. Do we? <laughs> Tune into Podcast 116 in another dimension. <laughs> awesome. One, 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 Another one. dimension. I would have loved to have been at those. They, you know, remember um, several months ago, I think now, but they had open casting calls for those. Sure. And, uh, that, that was July. That awesome was the day that we got to England. Uh, That's yeah. right. It was. Well, that means our poor friend Tom Rudders didn't get cast for Tom Riddle. He tried out for him. He went to the auditions. Um, remember, Tom, our voiceover for... The Harry Potter Disneyland yeah. day. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, he's my husband too. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> what is all this nonsense about people? I know. I don't get it each other on Facebook and marrying each other. I'm so confused. I'm on a Facebook marry you. I was like, oh, sure, yes, Melissa. I mean, how many marriages have you this had? Will now? Be my I mean, first. we've had the great. Oh, it is okay. I'm Facebook. It's a long distance relationship. Right? It's a digital Melissa relationship. couldn't get any more Scarlet. Oh. What? <laughs> he just called you a Scarlet woman. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm insulted. Oh, <laughs> Please. This is what being a Scarlet Woman is like. <laughs> Man, you couldn't even make an interesting book. Oh. I know. So funny. I run a website. I love Tom. Oh, my goodness but, sakes. You know, not in the Facebook book. Well, oh. But I am excited, though, that they're going to start actually do so. I mean, we need some casting announcements. I mean, come on. I need Throw us a freaking here. bone here. Yeah, really. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. I think we'll probably start hearing something in September. Probably around yeah. we're going to lead into announcements and all that stuff. So once summer stuff gets out of the way, fall movie schedule starts yeah, settling in. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And they're supposed to start filming technically. So but let's hope. Let's hope. But I just, I'm, I'm so anxious about uh, Horse Slughorn because he could be so just Bad. such a great, funny character. You know, I mean, how good Imelda Staunton did with Umbridge. Yeah. She just owned could swing either way. the Phoenix. And, you know, I yeah, heard they're giving true. the role to Jason Alexander. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that actually would be pretty great. If only he was pretty. Maybe a little neurotic yeah. horse slugboard. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Hey, there's a cool there's a cool article I remember reading about uh, the special effects in uh, Order of the Phoenix, which was pretty darn cool. It was really good. That was a superb article. It took we had put uh, posted portions of it before, but this one had little profiles from a lot of the major companies that worked on the um the film and like one had so many people, you know, one did like, uh, like 900 shots or something just absurd, yeah. you know, I think it I was mean, double negative. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Cause they have a, that effects site that had the interview, um, it does a podcast. That's pretty cool. I just uh, actually subscribed Ooh. to it yesterday so yeah. I can listen to it. They have a whole like 45 minute interview with the effects people who worked on Potter and it was a pretty cool listen. I gotta say. Oh, that's really good. But this article that we do have, it, it, it talks about how they different made the different things like Grop and they did the spells with like Bellatrix's spell and how they, they took, yeah. like they drained the color out of Gary Ullman to make him look like he was going through the veil, make him look more paler. You know, that was all digitally yeah. done. It's just amazing. Just, I mean, I can't imagine how painstaking it would be to yeah. do every single shot. Just, well, I mean, speaking of painstakingly, poor, 
Tony Maudsley worked <laughs> yeah. for months yeah. with these people. True. He was intricately involved in every step of the process mm-hmm. for Grub. And then we read book seven to find out he didn't have a lot that big of a part, after all. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I mean, somebody has to hang out at the outside wall of Hogwarts <laughs> to meet Thorn Adam. And if not Grub, who would that have been? <laughs> Grubby Plank? She can't catch meat in her mouth. <laughs> I, I bet she could, John. I bet she could. What's on the show this week? We have Canon Conundrums, and then we'll be back at the end of Scribby 5. To talk then, something very yeah. special. And be ridiculous. Do you know why? Mm-hmm. Most likely. Can, can What's, why? We talk, do you, have you boys and girls looked at what the calendar is? Mm-hmm. August, my friends, mm-hmm. two years ago. What? Just saying. What mean? Something came. Something gave birth. Something happened. Pottercast. Joe had another kid? No. Pottercast <gasps> was born. Oh. So. That's right. I didn't even realize. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, what is she talking about? No, it's our anniversary, our two-year anniversary. No, you are right. Oh. Whoa. And we didn't celebrate our 100th show. No. And we're not going to really celebrate <laughs> this one, most likely. But that's okay. We're above it's, it. We'll make a thread on the oh. blog. Yeah. Starting our third and final year of podcast. No. <laughs> it's such a funny joke every time. <laughs> For you. <laughs> for you. Just for me. Not for everybody. Uh, everyone goes, ah. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think. I should go. It's time Come to along. go. Yeah. And now it's time for Canon Conundrums. Listen in as our panel tries to figure out one specific issue from the Harry Potter canon. Who could possibly figure that out? Welcome to Canon Conundrums. Canon Conundrums. But it's not a conundrum. Since John is in here, one of us has to make the funny voice. Yeah. Is it conundrum or is it a conclusion? We don't know. I think it's. it's a, I think it might be our first conclusion. I don't know. I think it's a conundrum. But well, but, okay. Yeah. All right. You're right. Okay, Steve. What is our conundrum slash conclusion? Well, what we're going to talk about is the following question: What are the Deathly Hallows collectively really good for? And I say collectively because, I mean, you know, each one is pretty cool, but what is it supposed to happen when they're all together? What is up with the excellent question, actually? So, I mean, I like them very much. I think, you know, Elder One seriously rocks. And we know that Harry's cloak is amazing. Yeah. Interesting how that's been, you know, from the very beginning of the series. So... But then, and and then the Resurrection Stone, of course. And they're all really cool, but they never get together. At any point, are they ever actually totally possessed by one person altogether? So what's supposed to happen? We never find out. Let's do a little recap. Like you said, the Deathly Hallows are the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, and the Invisibility Cloak. Mm -hmm. Right. All from, made by the Peverell Brothers. Mm -hmm. Many ages ago. Passed down through Harry's bloodline, at least the cloak was. That's right. The Elder Wand is attained by force. They don't really tell you how the Resurrection Stone makes its way. It's still in the Peveril ring. Maybe it was never used well, again. Well, yes and no. We, are you saying when you say Peveril ring is... Because uh, before this book, we thought it had the Peveril coat of arms, but it doesn't really have right. any coat of arms. It just had that triangle circle uh, line symbol. That isn't a coat of arms. Well, the Resurrection Stone, there's a stone in the ring. Right. Right. No, 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 no. That symbol is the coat of arms. That's what Gaunt was calling the coat of arms. There isn't Hello? another coat of arms on the ring. Uh-oh. <laughs> Harry looks at it, and all there is is the triangle, the circle, and the line. So as it turns out, there is no coat of arms on the ring. All there is is that symbol. 
and that isn't a coda. Where does it say that? That's a it's, it's Harry. Harry looks at it when they argue. He and Hermione are talking about what it really was, and when they finally get a look at the thing, they, she says to him, "Well, what did it look like?" And he wasn't quite sure. And then he says, "Oh, I think it was the the symbol of the." of the triangle circle line and she says well you're just saying that because you want it to be the resurrection stone and then later when he looks at it that's exactly what it is it cracked right down the line the vertical line of that symbol so there is no coat of arms whatever marvel calls it in book six is what is accepted as the peveril family crest whatever it is it's something that signifies that peveril family but it's not a family crest a crest is an actual i mean that's a defined type of thing and all this is is is. but but the point is that whatever no the point is that whatever Marvolo says it is, and book six is what the community recognizes it as, otherwise it'd be useless. You know, Harry having a hazy memory, it's something else. If he says it's a Peveril family crest, that's what people sort of accept it as, or it would be useful. It's not what the wizarding world accepts as the family crest. Yeah, I know, but it had to have been associated with the family crest in a significant way for the wizarding world to associate it like that. Yeah, I don't believe that that's the case. It's not like Marvolo stands up and says this is a family crest and the wizarding world accepts it. Right, and and all he was doing was, according to the book, according to, to book seven, all he was doing apparently was just claiming that because he wanted to connect himself with the perils. Nobody else thought it was any kind of crest. But it would be a useless piece of evidence if it didn't mean anything. It's on the gravestone. It's the Peveril thing. If it wasn't on the gravestone, it has to have been recognized. And since it's on the gravestone, it was. Mm, anyway. Um, so basically, b- but the point being that we never get all three of these items together in the same place. Well, they're not owned by the same person. They're in the same place once. Right. They're in the same place. Right. What was the point of these three items collectively? Well, I just thought that it was more that they were not meant to be used as a collective trinity. I just think that they were meant to be quest items. I actually don't think that Joe ever actually intended them to be used simultaneously because that would make them, as we point out, the master of death, right? Right. And and if that was going to be the case, then then that whole thing would be true and she would be delving into a territory that I really don't think she wanted to go. I mean, you could talk about the religious connotations just by the Trinity and the quest for immortality and all this as you want in this book, but I don't think that she wanted Harry to actually become the master of death. Well, I guess my question is, why have that part of it at all? Because, well, and maybe it's just Xenophilus talking, because he says that is a children's tale told to amuse rather than instruct. Those of us who understand these matters, however, recognize that the ancient story refers to three objects, or hallows, which, if united, will make the possessor master of death. So it's the whole which, which united phrase, which is what I'm wondering about. Right, and I, I just don't think that they were, she ever intended it to actually be united. I thought it was just a, um, mm-hmm. a literary device, this is my personal thing, for Harry to discover things that he needed to do in order to defeat Voldemort. It wasn't actually to, to, to obtain a tool, but these were just um, things that he had to learn to use in his defense against sure. Voldemort. So there is no like magical thing that would happen if they all happened to get together in the same spot, like some big huge flash of light and all of a sudden something changes. <laughs> That'd be awesome if it was, but... <laughs> Um, It'd be like too bad because I almost had it. So when Zeno says that, you think he's just sort of shooting off his mouth, sort of this is what people, wacko people like him believe? I think that that's what the myth has turned it into. It started like Mm -hmm. fact and turned into legend, compounded by years of additions and subtractions. Mm -hmm. These three brothers were very real. The three brothers did create these really powerful items, and somehow they turned to these three mystical brothers who cheated and walked along the street with death itself, you know. Right, really, as exactly. we learned, they were human people, flesh and blood, who made three powerful items. So I think legend mm-hmm. just turned it into these three things having something to do with each other. 
And in fact, there were just three very powerful items together. Yeah. Possessing them all. Uh, you get into the whole meta explanation of being the master of death, right. of being the person who has no fear of death. But by possessing them all, you could be holding them all. You could be wearing the cloak, holding the stone, using the wand. You can still be killed. What I thought was interesting about that stone, when I first saw that or when I was reading the book, I thought instantly, oh, it's going to be the Sorcerer's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone is making a return. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking, you know, that ring from... I was just thinking, oh, that's the ring. You know, it's like a, some sort of decoy or there was a shard of it that was put into this ring or something. And I was kind of waiting for that's that the entire rest of the book. I don't know. Yeah. Is the Sorcerer's Stone another resurrection stone? Exactly. It mm-hmm. certainly seems like Maybe it. Maybe Harry, like, muses about that it sounds like the Sorcerer's Stone. But I was reading mm-hmm. and I was just get meta, immediately leapt to that. I was like, wow, sure. here's how she's tying this all together. This is finally all making sense, you know? And then okay, I'm really disappointed because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm was really thinking that if we put all three items together, like some tremendous magical, really cool thing would happen. And you guys are saying that no, probably just nothing particularly exciting would happen. I mean, I wanted to see great, huge gouts of flame or something, and and everybody would say, "Whoa, what happened?" And then there would be whoever's got all three of them would be like twice the normal size and be able to beat everybody up. I don't know. That would just make him too supernatural, too much like Merlin, too much out there. And I thought that Joe was just trying to show that how, for most accounts, Harry is a normal boy with some Mm -hmm. extraordinary skills and extraordinary things. You can do these things in that you can make these quests for these immortalities. Just another another way of like giving him, not a morality lesson, but another that you can make up with what you want. But at the end of the day, that's not going to give you what you really want. I like the idea of Dumbledore and Grindelwald and all the people throughout the ages chasing after this idea that doesn't really exist. Or, Or not in the form that they all believe it does. Yeah. Well, like the Elder One, for example, my reading of it sounds like the Elder One is supposed to never be able to be defeated, but Dumbledore defeated Grindelwald, so obviously it can be defeated. So some of its supposed powers are even more mythical than real. I'm just getting, like, really, really disappointed here. I was expecting... <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, well, let me ask you this, though, Steve. Would you really have wanted to see Harry become the Master of Death? Well, I guess my question was, why bring it up in the first place if there wasn't something? And again, I'm getting stuck in the story here, since obviously they never came together, so in a sense, they never have another power. But, you know, why bring that up? What is the whole If United? Why does she have Xenophilia say this? It gives a reason for people chasing after them. It gives a reason for them to be searching after all three of them. It shows why Dumbledore spent his youth Mm -hmm. and what created this conflict between him and Grindelwald. And it shows what the quest for unbeatable power, or supposed unbeatable power, will do to a person and then presented a moral choice to all the central characters because already back when they were kids or teenagers Grindelwald and Dumbledore were interested in finding the Deathly Hallows. What do you think they wanted it for? You mentioned, you know, ultimate like ultimate power, master of death, beater of death. Were they looking for the same thing Voldemort's looking for? Were they looking for yeah, immortality? Yeah, it's two different things. It's one is willing to hurt people to get it and one is yeah. not. Dumbledore did hurt people but not in the same way that Grindelwald did, that Voldemort did. Mhm. Voldemort with the evil way and was only interested in the wand. He didn't care. But he didn't know about the rest of the house. If he did, he would have gone after them too because he would have said, oh my gosh, immortality, this is the master of death, that's what Mm -hmm. I want. I guess, given this piece of information that you can become the master of death, it says something about your character that you think of the master of death as invincible rather than not caring about death or Mm -hmm. being above being worried about death, you know? Right. That's a, that's a good point, because that's kind of where Harry was then when in the forest. He was the master of death, not because he couldn't die. I mean, he ended up not being able to die because of the piece of soul inside of him, but he was the master of death because 
he was willing to stand there and say, I'm willing to accept that. The whole idea that there are worse things than death. And so, so for Harry, he was the master of death yeah. at that point. And what's interesting is that Dumbledore says the very thing in book five, there are worse things than death. And yet between that time and the beginning of book six, he has again attempted to get the resurrection stone to, to get all true. three. So he really yes, wasn't indeed. ready. I just, I cannot get over how overtly religious in nature this whole, these whole yeah. hallows are and just the Trinity, just the pure mm-hmm. symbolism behind them. It's just, just remarkable to me. And, and that how the, you, her device of having it inside the snitch, I open at the close. That line just really was very profound to me. And I just yeah. thought, wow. Yeah. I didn't really expect it, to be honest with you. I really, I thought that she might kind of steer away from that. But she really delved in some territory I really hadn't sure. expected. I don't know. I keep, I kept thinking it would remind me of like a parable from the Bible or something. The, the sons that would go off and seek whatever and the, the, these brothers. Yeah. And just, but I just, I was struck by that. You know, right. I don't know. What, maybe that's for another topic for another time, but I just... It is it is some of what we're talking about. It's just the simple fact that when we get yeah. to Deathly Hallows, she has kind of gone ahead and said, look, I'm going to get... I don't know if religious is the word. I think there is an element of that. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I would, because yeah. I'm a religious person, so I would tend to look at it that way, but just maybe more spiritual or more yeah. mystical. But there is... She just yeah. went full tilt into it and said, hey, guess what? There's a spiritual side to this story, if you will, and I'm we're in book seven. I'm going to tell it to you. But there are some real... I mean, even just the idea of calling the chapter where he has to make a decision about death, calling it King's Cross... You know, now we know why she was oh, so absolutely. interested in having the station be King's Cross way back at the beginning, you know? <laughs> There's so many things like that that are you can't get away from them. The religion, know? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. He he saves everybody by dying mm-hmm. and comes back and kills the devil. Like, mm-hmm. it's unreal, <laughs> the it symbology. I spoke briefly with Connie Neal, who's written a lot of books about Haria and religion, who will be on the show eventually. We're still trying to plan it. After the book, she's so excited because she's got so much to write about now. I, I've, had, I've had conversations now with some people who who were quite anti-Harry Potter, uh, you know, religious uh, reasons, and who are now looking at this and yeah. saying, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and the fun thing is that you can actually, yeah. now that you know all of the things, Deathly Hallows and all of this, to go back and start looking at the books again. I'm looking forward to finding time to starting with book one and just reading through again and just finding all the connections. And so we were talking about the parallels between one and seven. Yeah, I didn't even really realize that until we were talking about that. Uh, I think, was it last week we were talking about it? Can I ask you guys this? This is kind of off-tangent, but it does relate to this. I've heard the one, one of the criticisms I've heard repeatedly is that she really did not even need to have the Deathly Hallows in there at all. Do you think that it really the book could have done as well or the plot line could have survived as much without including this like side tangent? Well, you know what, Sue? I think that really was the question. And maybe that's why, because I was yeah. thinking about this question of what is it, what are they collectively supposed to be? Yeah. I think that's exactly it. What is the point? I think there's a really big point to them. Harry could have done without it, marched forward and killed Voldemort in some other way. But the point that we have mm-hmm. to make about him as a hero, A, is that it's not just been his, this one battle against a dark wizard. You have history of Dumbledore defeating Grindelwald, and you think that that's in the past. Here we discover that it is all been one giant story and harry is truly the hero not just a hero is the hero of the story but harry most of all Mm -hmm. has to be presented with the prospect of ultimate power 
with the prospect of, yes. of going Voldemort's route, getting everything that Voldemort wanted, doing everything, doing what is easy instead of what is right. And he had to turn to the right way, no matter how hard it was. And how, hard, how much harder can it get than dying? Well, and, and not only that, but jump it back. Remember, he had to make this fateful decision of who do I talk to first, Griphook or Ollivander. Basically, he was deciding, do I go for Horcruxes or do I go for Hallows? That, I think, now that we're talking about it, I start to realize, I think that was a very, very important point because Harry had to make that same decision like what you were just saying between do I go for the Hallows and become Master of Death myself or do I go for the Horcruxes mm-hmm. and just stop Voldemort? And he had to decide, you know what, I'm going to defeat Voldemort and that may mean I never have the mastery of death that I wish I had. He literally had to do it and the only way that he could grow more powerful Mm -hmm. than death is to not be frightened of it. And once he realized that achieving mastery over death was not really his aim, he became the the master of it. Even Mm -hmm. though they were within his grasp, they were right there, he could have gotten them. One thing I've just struck again is about how much lessons you learn from these books. And Joe's inclusion of these the Deathly Hallows being as a simple children's tale almost seemed to me like it was a wink and nod to herself saying, Look, here's these, you know, things that we just kind of disregard as children's stories growing up and Harry Potter's been, you know Well that's uh interesting too, because again, yeah, it is kind of just like that wonderful thing when when Hermione says, Well, the one way she makes everybody read it, Umbridge being Umbridge is to ban it. Well, in a sense, she's making it, she was yeah. talking about herself or about her books in some way. Well, she's doing right. the same thing. She's saying, you know, it's yeah. just a kid's story, right? Can't have any real meaning, right? How satisfying must it be for her to pen those lines, you know? My favorite one ever is, of course it's all been in your head, but why on earth should that mean it's not real? Oh, yes! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Of course it's in your head, but... So, have we dashed my hopes of the <laughs> Deathly Hallows being the, this ultimate... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm back there, see? I'm still waiting for the movie version when they all come together and there's yeah. this flash of light <laughs> oh, and hearing... Oh, no. I'm not going to say that out of the question. <laughs> because it's Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> hilarious. They're like, you just want to make one change. And she's like, no. Yeah. Boy, I, I, it's funny because I was listening to the recording of the book and thinking... You know, this one, of all of them, there's stuff you can't cut, really. I'm sure they'll manage to, but, I mean, you can cut large portions of the camping trip. But, you know, I mean, there's so many moments and so many things where Harry has to find this or has to do this, the Hallows being one of them. It's going to be interesting to see them try to cram that into two hours and 25 minutes or whatever. I will say my favorite thing about the Hallows thing was just learning about that cloak because we had speculated for so long what was the hidden powers. I know we had even talked about it before in Conundrum. What were the powers that had to give or offer Harry some extra protection? Mm -hmm. So for me, I was just like grateful to get that. So thank you, Joe, for that. Right. And, And again, you know, in some ways it felt a little bit like Deathly Hallows, oh, come on, we're in book seven. Now there's another batch of magic stuff to find. But um, then when you realize that, well, no, that's been around the whole time. She just didn't call them Deathly Hallows. It's not even that. I mean, like every book, what's the Sorcerer's Stone? What's the Chamber of Secrets? Who's the Prisoner of Azkaban? What's the Goblet of Fire? Who's the Half-Blood Prince? Mm -hmm. What's the Order of the Phoenix? Mm -hmm. There has Mm -hmm. to be something new. Otherwise, we're just reading the same stuff, everything we knew. Right, exactly. Which is why it's so funny to listen to us try to figure out what the titles mean before the books come out. Exactly. <laughs> Not that that stops us. But honestly, my personal favorite throughout this whole thing has been the crazy discussion of the dragon. Once we knew there was a dragon, there was all this wild discussion. Oh, oh yes. Okay, it's like, there's this dragon, and he was sort of blind, and they flew it, and that's it. You know, yeah. people have the whole plot figured out with the dragon. And oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? We're fans. We do that. We get a little carried away, and we love it. I want to go back and listen to all that, because we were nuts. I know. And, and it's funny. Again, no, it wasn't Norbert. No, it wasn't a Peruvian, whatever it is. 
but it was a dragon that we've heard about. Yeah. Again, it, this was not yes. pulled out of the, out of nowhere. We knew there were dragons in Gringotts, dragons and sphinxes, you know? You know, another cart ride into Gring... Oh, here, oh man, we're going to have to do a whole cannon conundrum. On, okay, we're going to have to do a whole <laughs> bunch of them. So what do you think? Shall we... Shall we <laughs> you guys game for another 50 or 60 of these I things? I they are. But I'm sorry, Steve, we didn't get it the answer that you were... No, I know, and I'm so depressed. Know. Here's my idea. Everybody send in your favorite idea about what happens when the Deathly Hallows come together. Yeah. And no matter how ridiculous it is. Oh, I want to see some serious artwork here. Some artwork, if you want to yeah. hear a song, whatever. Staff at podcast.com. Uh-huh. I want to see, you know, Transformers. Transformers. I want to see, like, like stuff changing and moving. And, awesome. and all of a sudden, we've got super hairy. We have, like, Jafar. Phenomenal cosmic powers. living space. Oh dear! So that's there. That's you awesome. go. I want to see it. I'm, 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 I will not be. I will not be squelched. I know. I know that that really is something exciting. If we could only get all three together. And why did he drop the stone in the woods? Come on, dude. Put it back in your pocket or something. It's totally Mr. Frodo. You, what, it's totally. You know Mr. why he Frodo. dropped in the woods? Because Joe really did not want all three of them to come together. No. I think it's really important that he drops the stone because he wasn't relying on anything else. He needed to be oh, free absolutely. of everything but his own influences. Right. He drops the stone and he stands there under mm-hmm. his own influence and dies. Right. It's really key, not just because they couldn't have him together. So, okay. I think that's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, Since we came to no conclusion, it's up to yeah, you. Yeah, well, I think, speak. you know what, that's not true. We came to some really good conclusions, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, not the conclusion I was hoping for, which involved, you know, ma- great magical special effects okay. and things like this, but... Um, I think, you know, it, it just just the whole idea of, of the Deathly Hallows and how they fit into the overall structure of the story. And I think the question of, are they really just sort of throw away and should, you know, could the story have st- stood without them? Right. We could have told the story without them, but I think what you were saying about Harry's choice, I think, really made right. the, the Hallows become an important counter to the Horcruxes. Yeah. One being really, really, really evil objects and the other being... Well, I don't know if they're good, but... They present an opportunity to become a really good person. Right. Yeah. So, anyway. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Joe is amazing. That's all we know. Is Joe is an amazing writer. Yep. He's yep. She's got to be sitting there going, huh, what will I do to him next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write a mystery, mystery novel. novel oh, whatever. wait. That's yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <mystery>. man. <laughs> so we're going to do this again, then. We haven't run out of no, ideas, no, no, right? No, no, no. No go. good. Lots to go. Be looking forward to that. Okay, so we'll see everybody next time uh, for another canon conundrums or conclusions or one of them. I thought this deep family right. voice is saying that. <laughs> I'm trying. John's not here. What can I do? That's <laughs> awesome. Right. Okay, bye, Steve. Bye, Melly. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye. Hey everybody and welcome to Scribby 5, the five-minute podcast for the Leaky Cauldron's premiere essay project, Scribulous. And I am Nina, otherwise known as Severine Snape. And I am Erin, also known as Kathias. Our website is currently under reconstruction, but should be up again soon. In the meantime, we've decided to publish our next issue, September 15th. Yeah, and even though our site is down at the moment, um, we are still accepting your essay submissions, and so you can still send them normally to scribulous at theleakycauldron.com, and you know the address with all the hyphens in it. As you know, Nina, we haven't published anything new since Deathly Hallows, but looking back over many of our published essays... Yeah, uh, as I read the Deathly Hallows, I find myself getting 
flashes of the various essays we've published in the past year. Yeah, me too. The first thing I remember thinking is that H. B. Boy thirteen was right about Andromeda Tonks. She did indeed show up as a character in Deathly Hallows. We all on the scribulous staff thought her very appearance quite an outside chance, and then. There she was. Exactly, and it's it's those kinds of small predictions that kept showing up throughout the book. But some authors got their essays even closer to the mark than that. I mean, one of my favorite essays was one on Ron Weasley by、uh, Weasel Diva, and it was called "The Ace of the Rolling Sleeve" from issue seventeen. And in that essay, the author defends Ron, arguing that he had much more potential to fight Lord Voldemort than most people thought he did. And I thought of her essay during the Silver Doe chapter, in which Ron acts much like King Arthur in removing the sword of Gryffindor from the lake and saving Harry's life. And so Weasel Diva said that the song "Weasley is Our King" from Order of the Phoenix was in fact predictive, and indeed it was. Something that really struck me when reading Deathly Hallows was the parallel to the Third Reich. That really came out in、mm. this novel because of the registration, persecution, and imprisonment of Muggleborns in the same unfair way that Jews were treated during World War II. And that very similarity was discussed in one of our earliest essays called "Harry Potter and the Third Reich" by Wagga Wagga Werewolf. Yeah, true, Erin. That author was right on target with her thought-provoking analysis of the influences of historical dictators and especially the Second World War on Joe's work. She even mentioned the work of、uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. And of course, speaking of Machiavelli, this makes another important character come to mind. Everything makes him come to mind for you, Nina. Well, he was. A source of endless theories, Aaron, and, and he can't be avoided. I mean, he's Snape. Oh, Snape, we received so、Snape. many essays about Snape. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no getting out of it, Aaron. Just because your theory、oh, was wrong, right? Well, we still many readers believe that Snape was following Dumbledore's <laughs> orders, and the essay "Dumbledore's Man" by Hawthorne and Phoenix was published very early on. She did a really lovely job presenting Snape as some kind of Byronic antihero. Was loyal to Dumbledore, and、uh, she was virtually completely correct in her expectations for this character, saying it is clear that while the term "good" is not likely to ever apply to Severus Snape's personal character, he has done many good things. And she then goes on to add that Snape will prove that Harry was wrong to suspect him, and that Dumbledore was right to trust yeah, him. Yes, she was right on target. Another essay on Snape shipped him with Lily. Dark obsessive love, Snape's real vendetta revealed by Hagrid loves happy hour. That essay describes Snape's motives as being driven by a love for Lily. Though really, the Harry Potter ships turned out to be relatively transparent in、uh, the end, well, weren't they? Well, maybe to you, Nina, but many people thought that Harry's future love interest was a hotly debatable subject. The essay "Why Harry Picked Ginny Rather Than Hermione as a Romantic Partner" by Gowdy is actually one of my favorite because it describes why Harry and Ginny are perfect for each other. The author writes, "One of Harry's primary desires is for humor. Ginny meets that need perfectly, and as a result, they share a very strong sexual attraction." In Deathly Hallows, Harry longs for Ginny in a physical and romantic sense, and tells Ron and Hermione that Hermione is like his sister. This author suggests that Harry didn't choose Hermione because she wasn't funny. Remember, <laughs> Harry funded Weasley's wizarding wheezes. The author notes, and Harry turns to humor as his main desire, for which he would pay a thousand galleons in order to find some pleasure. 
future in the face of the coming darkness. Yeah, and I'd do the same. I mean, who wouldn't really? <laughs> I mean, that essay brings tears to your eyes as it expresses Harry's emotional connection with Ginny, a relationship that we never really see fully developed before Harry's journey is completed. It all ended a bit too soon, it didn't did. it? You know, we all love the Rowling characters so much. It's hard to let go, isn't it? Nina? Yeah, but, you know, we don't have to let go. I mean, that's what we're here for. And remember, how do you expect to learn anything if you don't read Scribulus? Exactly. That's all for now. <laughs> Look for our next issue on September 15th. All right. Bye, everyone. The end of the show as we know it, and we're two years old. Two years old. Two years old. What's the actual day of our first show? Was it the thirtieth? I want. I want to hear a clip of the first episode. I thought it was like the twenty fifth or something, because I I was on like the August thirtieth because I was moving. I remember I moved up here, and I missed the first one, and I'm. I know it was in August, the end of August, because I thought my first appearance was like. end of the month yeah i want to hear the intro to the first episode i want to hear no no i don't <laughs> oh the audience wants to hear it's nostalgia no <laughs> it's nostalgia why would you want to hear that because it's fun no, listen it's to us back fun. then listen you, to us now make fun of me no it was a nightmare <laughs> i never want to hear it again ever oh never. stop never it's like watch it's like looking at a baby picture yeah that's the reason you i don't look at my like, baby pictures look at me this is not like baby pictures this is like that awkward stage between 13 and 14 <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is <laughs> uh, baby pictures are much too cute even <laughs> yeah no mm-mm, mm-mm. but just i'm sure if we put it to a vote the whole audience yeah, would so love am I. to hear it no <laughs> Okay, well, then they we encourage you all to download episode one on Pottercast.com. So Why do you hate me? Monday, August 22nd is the date. I hate you all. August 22nd, <laughs> which is today. so sad. Sue couldn't do the news that week. She was mm-hmm. moving. I recorded half the show. I did all the intros. I was sitting there I did all the interviews. I was just like, we are going to get this show up. John still didn't want to be on right. it. Yep. Did we have a podcast that week? Mm. Or did that come later? Uh, it was pretty short, mm. I thought. I mean, maybe we yeah. did. I don't remember. But... What was the canon conundrum? There wasn't one. Oh. No, we didn't have that. Had the Bonnie Wright interview? No, Bonnie, that's right. Yeah, I remember when she sat in our Stuart studio Craig. with us for like Stuart three Craig. hours. Our friend Eddie. Oh my God, I remember when we did it. <laughs> Stuart Craig. <laughs> and we had one, <laughs> one instance of Cosmic Cast in there. Oh, oh that's right. Oh. Today's Cauldron Cast is brought to you by. Speaking of, I should have realized the domain name Cauldron Cast just expired. Oh, well, there so you there. go. Snap oh, it up. someone's going to snatch it up. We let it go. Secrets revealed. Oh, now we're going to have a Cauldron names. Cast guaranteed. Good for them. Two years, baby. Two years. Who knew that we would be. Never had a fight. Not me. Oh, goodness. I didn't know. I mean. I was all ready to quit everything that week, and then they're like, let's do a podcast. And I'm like, all right, I'll stick around for a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> and then, boom. Not so am. much. I'm stuck. You did the podcast, kicking and screaming. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. You just didn't want to do it. Yeah. It was sounding so badly, you're like, fine, I will do it. I will. I will <laughs> Isn't that funny that that's... Uh, for producing. 
Okay. Uh, you guys were cute in your sound recorder program. Oh, that's right. I remember the sound recorder. Those were pre-Audacity days. Wow. This is pretty much pre-podcasting in general days. There's only a few podcasts out at that time. I know. It says a lot when we're able to stay in the, you know, the top whatever is on iTunes so much for no really... You know, big powder was happening at the time. Well, I'm just grateful that, I mean, we've had people that have listened to us since episode one, and it's been awesome. Oh, I know. It's amazing. Yeah, they deserve cookies or something. Mm-hmm. They do. They Brilliant. do. We'll get you back in 13 and a half. <laughs> yeah, 13 and a half. 13 and a half. Well, I gotta say, though, guys, that as far as podcast goes, this is probably the best podcast 115 we've done Aww. in two years. Aww. Forgot about that joke. Thank you, John. I've never heard that before. It's so lovely. I love that. I sentiment. gotta say, it's a good compliment from me. It is so sweet. Well, what can we expect from all of us for next week's show? Oh, we are going to be attempting eventually to start talking about the book bit by bit. Yes. Like Phoenix Files. Kind of. Like Phoenix Files, but with the book. Definitely Hollows. We've got lots to discuss. Lots. Lots. We are still developing what the show is going to turn into now. The book seven is out, so. I had a crazy idea. Can I throw it out you guys now for the first time on the air? I was riding in the car like I tend to do when I'm getting places. <laughs> yeah. And the radio was on and it was not music. Mm. And it wasn't even like a news program like I tend to be an old man sometimes and listen to. No, it was like like a play, like a show. And I'm, I had me remembering how at Phoenix Rising they did something like this when they did the um, trial of Snape, and uh, one of the other Potter podcasts did. I think it was uh, Spinner's Cast or Spellcast, and it got me thinking this would be something really cool if we tried to do something like this too. Something like sort of like fan fiction, but more like a fan script fiction. But we would start out by actually auditioning fan actors out there who would want to be a part of our little, uh, what's that group called? Not cast. A troop? A troop, yes. Yeah. Troop. Our little troop here. Uh-huh. So we would we would pretty much get a little script to start out with and people would call in reading the script and we would take, uh, do a little audition of those folks and we could do, once we have our little troop, our little cast, we could we would start out and then we would make it a contest for for uh, fan fiction writers to write chapters of our little story for our troupe. And at the end of the, the show, we, we'd maybe put it out once every two weeks. At the end of it, the fans would would do on Pottercast.com and they would write and they would vote what should happen next and they give them like four choices like one of those choose your own adventure stories oh I love those be like, I love if you adventures. think yeah. if you think Harry should go to the hardware store with you know whoever you know vote this or if you think that you know Harry should not go to the hardware store you know and then once the fans would vote then our you know fanfic writers would write the next chapter based on what the audience would want to hear we could do a little uh Probably a little five-minute chapters every week, and we would write our own little uh, little story. And maybe we could even do it like like um, post Deathly Hollows, like like use epilogue characters, because that's something that I'm not seeing enough of lately. If we wrote it in in that world of you know Harry and Ginny's kids and Ron and Hermione's kids, because I like fanfic as much as the next person, but I like to read about the characters. That 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 Joe's written, not 
random characters that happen to share their names. So I want people to write epilogue characters, and if we could get enough people interested um, to to write us a little um, a little what's it called mini series drama thingy then we could audition folks to play the actors and I think it could be a lot of fun. Okay. What I was going to say is I would like recommendations of well-written fanfic about about the kids after Hogwarts. Is, there's got to be stuff out there by now and yeah. I just I don't have time to slog through the millions and millions of beautiful fanfics that have been written but to find stuff that I like the most the most in character. You know, yeah. I like yeah. like John, I like fanfiction when it is in character as possible. Otherwise, I wouldn't be reading about these people. <laughs> For real. So yeah. Send us links, staffapodcast.com. Yeah. We await the flood. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's bound to be so much of it. And that's the cool thing about these characters is that we know very little about them. So for all of you people who like to write random characters and just give them names from Joe's books, this is a chance to do it where we can't know otherwise whether or not, you know, you're, you're right or wrong. We don't know anything about Hugo and Rose and, and you know, Albus Severus. See, I just love this because I'm a big fan of like Lost or, you know, do your own adventure things. I just did one the other day with a book called Lost in Austin about Jane Austen adventure. So I'm like all for this. This would be fun. This would be Lost in Potterland. It'd be awesome, man. Do it. And I don't know if the three of us would even be in it or not. I mean, I don't know if we would be better than people who would audition. Most likely not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, one of my favorite things about this show is getting fans involved with it mm-hmm. and and I think one group of fans that we have never tapped into before are people who like to perform and do acting and things so this would be this could be a really cool opportunity to get them in and as, and all of the writers out there that uh, that like to do fanfic and could be interested in writing a story and a script for these folks alright wow. cool that's your challenge for this week guys Ooh. next week we'll be back with more canon discussion more stuff <laughs> yep our next our next phoenix files about uh what we said it was and our canon conundrum about oh. about something <laughs> i don't know you know what Post? i'm not gonna spoil it for you here <laughs> yeah, okay. you're gonna have to tune in next week and you know what until then you gotta keep twiddling those dials the next password will be scorpius keep each other safe keep faith good, good night. night we've missed it w3 i confess myself Disappointed. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. <laughs> Thanks to our editors, Steed and Matt, for getting the show together. And a new podcast editor, Hildy Poles. Thanks to our transcription elves for transcribing this uh, episode and all the other episodes you can find on podcast.com. Yep, and special thanks as always go out to our awesome podcast helpers like the lovely witchy helper Chloe Goodhart and Kimmy Blair and the lovely Doris Herman. Uh, thank you to our lovely Scrippy Five ladies for another Scrippy Five and uh, Steve Vanderark from the Lexicon helping us with can- conundrums. And uh, if you want to leave us some voicemails and participate in the, the next Canon Conundrum feedback topic, Check out podcast.com to figure out what it is we'll be talking about next, and you can leave us voicemails at 1-702-42-53259, which is 1-702-42-LEAKY. In the UK, it's 020-7193-2872, or you can email us at staff at podcast.com or leave us a message at Skype username podcast.